Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you liked them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. My guest today is Pat Nevin. Pat is a retired footballer and now one of the most respected and sought after football pundits. During his 20 year footballing career, he played for the likes of Clyde, Chelsea, and Everton, also winning 28 caps for Scotland in his international career, as well as also being a Sunday Times best selling author. Born and bred in Glasgow, in 1983 he moved to London to start his career at Chelsea. Pat was a unique footballer, often described as a mesmerising winger, where football became behind his love of music. He saw football as an activity, not an identity, even writing reviews for NME during his footballing career. Pat has written two books, including his latest, The Accidental Footballer, released earlier this year, which evokes the national game in a period of transition to which he himself contributed to with soul and style. Now a successful broadcaster and pundit, 
Pat is a fan favourite on BBC, Radio 5 Live and Chelsea TV and was the English PFA chairman for five years. An avid vinyl collector, he still loves indie music and the arts and can often be caught DJing at clubs or festivals around the UK and he lives on the Scottish borders with his wife and two children. With such a successful career and strong love of the arts, I'm so excited to chat with Pat today and hear all about the moments that shaped his life. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Pat. It's an absolute pleasure, Jenny. And by the way, I just love the concept. The Sliding Doors concept is brilliant because we've all got them. Um, And it was actually great reminding myself what some of them were. And uh, we've chosen three, haven't we? But to us, there's quite, there's quite a few. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, fun. Yeah, and I think that's what I love is that people can reflect about all of those brilliant moments that have shaped where they are. And um, I've been really excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, I come from a long line of Evertonians. My dad's been going since the 60s. So a lot of people, including myself, are very excited to chat to you. And I love as well how your fans are quite cross-generational because I think not only were you a footballer, but you've now got such a successful kind of career in broadcasting. And as I mentioned, you were a really unique footballer. Like football wasn't how you defined your life. You know, you, you as I said before, it came behind the love of music for you. So I wanted to take it right back and just ask you, what did you dream of becoming when you were younger? I didn't dream of anything <laughs> at all. I just kind of existed and enjoyed my life because I was brought up in the rough end of Glasgow yeah, and the east end of Glasgow. Um, there was eight of us, you know, mum, dad and me and my five siblings and we just enjoyed life. Um, and it was really interesting because I hadn't, yes, I thought about my, my life and my history and my youth, but I hadn't considered it that much until I had to write this book. I had to, I wanted to write yes. it. <laughs> And I loved it. I loved looking back and then finding meaning in things that you you probably hadn't really considered that much, you know. And so you fast forward many years and I have, uh, I mean, I'm quite an activist and always was. So why did that happen? And then yeah. you start looking into your youth and you realise, oh, that's why it happened. Uh-huh. It was like it was ingrained there. So it was, it was brilliant to be able to look back and all that sort of stuff and, and, and that history of who you were. Um, and try and find out A, because everyone should change yeah. but B, everyone should remember where they came from as well and you know so change the things that need changing and stay the same person in the areas that you probably ought to stay the same person so this sounds really heavy there's lots more laughs no, not book. at all <laughs> not at all I think you're right like I think sometimes we life is so quick and fast moving that actually we don't realise where these small um, interests or moments came from I mean how did you get into playing football then I know that you did like long distance running when you were younger but how did football like come how did you find out you were so good at football well if, if you lived in Glasgow or Manchester or Liverpool you found out because it was there by osmosis. It was yeah. basically everyone played. And uh, certainly from any time I can remember, I played with my brothers and my my friends outside. But in reality, the real reason was my dad. Yeah. And my dad trained me every single day. Really? And, you know, he just came home from work, working, you know, hard shifts as a labourer for British Rail, as it was then. And then uh, he came home after doing like 10, 12 hour days and then said, right, who's coming out for training? As just for fun to play football and I went and whereas my other brothers after a number of years they did it for a few years and then stopped um I just kept on going because I liked playing and uh, I found out 
it turned out I wasn't bad at it. Uh-huh. And Definitely I not. wasn't doing it for any other reason than the absolute joy of playing. Mm-hmm. I, I loved to play. I loved the creative, creative side of it. And I watched, I was watching teams when I was growing up, Celtic were winning nine in a row. They won the European Cup, mm-hmm. I mean, which is stunning, you know, Champions yeah. League winners from Glasgow. Um, there was a brilliant, brilliant Brazil team at the time, 1970, just when I was growing up, then the Dutch with Cruyff. So I was surrounded by this like beauty in the yeah. game. So when I saw that, I thought, well, that's what I would like to do when I'm out playing with my mates. So I, I saw the winning was good. Yeah, you like mm-hmm. winning. Wow. The absolute pure joy of doing skillful, creative things. That's why I did it. And that's why I, I never got bored with it. So yeah. why did I start? Well, I started for that reason. I don't know if that's, when you look at it now, can, I mean, I have to ask you a question, Jenny. People say, oh, you need to be driven. And I thought about nothing else. And I think, does a four or five-year-old really think like that? Oh, totally. I mean, exactly. does even like a 16-year-old, like we're driven, we're drilled to be like, what do you want to do? How do you want to do it? And it's so, it's actually really beautiful to hear that you just, you loved it and you mm-hmm. you went with it. And I think that, especially these days, I feel like there's so much pressure when it comes to what do you want to be? And if you want to be it, you've got to start at like two years old. And it's so nice I, to hear I, that. I it, disagree with that completely. Yeah. I think completely wrong. And I think, I think a lot of people have been sold a pup in this one. And one of the reasons for, for actually writing the book was to explain to people, do you know the ones that are multidimensional? Mm-hmm. They're the ones that you think, actually, they're A, enjoying it, but B, they're doing it with comfort, relaxation. Yeah. And I think if you are playing not through fear, you can be creative more easily. 100%. And if you start looking through, there's a lot of people that are like that. Now, we, we tend, tend to get hung up in football. But look at some of the other sports. Some of the absolute greats have had very interesting hinterlands as well. Mm-hmm. And I think I think sports are slowly but surely beginning to catch up with that. Yeah. Somehow I knew it when I was like yeah. 60 that that's what you should be like because it was yeah. right. Definitely. And as I said, I think you were you are and you were such a unique player in that sense. Um, and I, I also read up about you that when you actually went to play for Chelsea, you were actually in the middle of a degree, weren't you? So what mm-hmm. did you, what were you studying? Cause you, are you an honorary doctor? Yeah, yeah well, um, uh, yes, I am. I'm a doctor, doctor. I've got two. Doctor, doctor. <laughs> uh, which really annoys my daughter. who's a real <laughs> medical doctor. <laughs> in the seven years that she was, you know, doing her, her studies and her work, and I was saying, well, you know, I'm a doctor already. Yeah. And she was fuming with me. And that's you know, the only time I've ever used my doctorate is yeah. just to wind up my doctor. Um, but I was given her for a variety of reasons. And it wasn't for playing football. It was for other things I did outside it. Um, but I was at Glasgow Tech, as it was in Glasgow Caledonian University, as it is now. And at school, I'd, I'd done well with my exams. And I'd mm-hmm. had a choice of Glasgow Uni, Strathclyde Uni. Um, but... Much to the disappointment of my teachers, I didn't do a real arts degree like English and fine art or something like that. I did business. Did you? Because I wanted to do something that would lead to a job. Remember, from the east end of Glasgow, Mm -hmm. you know, working and surviving is massive. Yeah. So I didn't do the job for something that I, I didn't do the degree for something I absolutely loved. I did it to get a job Mm -hmm. so that would allow me to do the things that I love. Love, yeah. Very clever. Um, funnily enough, my wife did English and fine art, so she did. Yeah. She did it that way. Yeah. Oh. 
I've never actually thought I did the wrong thing because every part of that degree, every single part of it, from the economics to the accounts to marketing to I'm a, I'm a really quick typist, um, which helped writing my book. Yeah. Um, there's every part of it, you know, Mark, it's, it's stunning how they all helped at mm-hmm. various points in my career, you know, understanding economics and understanding money and things like that. It's a really handy thing if you're a football and in that I never had an agent. Yeah. I could have did it all myself. So yeah, it was an interesting degree, but after two years, uh, you know, I, I, I took a sabbatical to, to play football, but we'll go into that. Yeah, but no, it's so great. And you make a really great point. Again, it, it things don't have to be one dimensional and actually transferable skills can come from everywhere in every job that you do. Um, I can't not ask you, where, what was your favourite club to play for? And again, you don't have to say Everton because of what I just said, but I'd love to, because you've played for such, you know, such different clubs, but a few kind of really big ones. And which which kind of has the the best place in your heart? Well, I may have... There's a number of ways of answering it, and that sounds a really stupid thing to, to, to say. If you take each one, Clyde, I was playing, but I was in Glasgow. I was a student. The music scene was brilliant. Yeah. So I've got the perfect world there, you know, earning a few quid as a student and playing football part-time, you know, professionally. And all my best friends around me. I mean, and I like the guys. Exactly. It is a dream. That's why... You know, it, it was kind of hard to drag me away from that. At Chelsea, I got play of the year twice. Mm-hmm. And the fans to this day are still really good to me. And yeah. I mean, I'm often talked about in, as one of their cult players. So that was a great time as well. The first couple of years at Everton were, were fabulous, but never never saw, thought that way because the expectations at Everton were so much higher than everywhere else. Yeah. So... There was a lot more stress there um, on every player that was involved in the team. By the time I went to Tranmere, I'd got to back to playing my own type of football again, yeah. which I was given freedom. So I loved it then. It was really friendly. And at the end, the, the next club after that was Kilmara. And I often say to people, maybe the most fun year of my entire career was Kilmara. Really? I only stayed there one year. It's about who you're working with, yeah. your friends. And I was back up in Scotland I was playing, playing with a bunch of guys who were good players, but we were just good mates. And that's kind of unusual for me because all my mates weren't footballers. Generally, they weren't. They were, you know, I didn't hang about with footballers, but yeah. that wee group of players were the people that I, I felt fantastic with. So who's my favourite? Well, I'm, I am a Chelsea supporter. That's my team. Yeah. Um, and in Scotland, my team's Hibernian. But, you know... My least favourite game every season, and I hate it, and I honestly hate it, is Chelsea Everton. I hate really? it. I cannot stand it. And I'm always working at it because I can't. It's, it's, it just hurts anything anybody yeah. scores. It's so true. It's so true. You but you make a really brilliant point because I think in any job that we do, we don't often put enough emphasis on it. Is the people that you work with that make your job. You know, if you even your boss to your, you know, fellow colleagues, people can really make somewhere memorable and special. And it's great to hear that you kind of had that along your career. And also your boss makes a difference. Yeah, your definitely. Boss makes a difference. Yeah. And I worked when I was at Evan, I didn't, I'd never met anyone in the game I liked more than Colin Harvey. Mm-hmm. He's the, the loveliest person I think I've ever met in the game. And considering he was manager at the time, I just, I mean, I was playing for Evan. I loved Evan. I actually loved the the stadium. Yeah. 
desperately love the stadium. I love the actual pitch. I know that sounds a weird thing. No, not at all. I love it too. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's the actual, the surface was perfect for me. All the pitches back when I was playing were rotten. You know, they're all like potato fields after two or three months. Whereas Goodison, it was perfect. So I loved that. I loved the whole atmosphere, but, you know, the manager, the assistant manager at the time, the first period, and it's a shame because I didn't really go on with Howard and Howard came back. Yeah. Kendall. Um, but with Colin and I, it was absolutely brilliant. Um, re- real good friends. And that's covered massively in the book. And to be honest, I think a lot of people were waiting because they knew that Howard and I didn't hit it off. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people were expecting me to get the knife out and dig in. It's not who I am. No, it's not <laughs> it's your style not. at all. And, I, and I'm not ducking it. I just thought, actually, I've never felt that way about people. Yeah. You disagree. You you can disagree, but in a kind of a positive way. Um, and certainly the story when I was able to tell it about Howard and our last moments when I was at Chelsea, uh, Everton, and then the moment after when we met afterwards, it just about finishes the book. And it is, it's a really lovely, quite moving moment between yeah. Howard and I, two people that didn't get on. Um, and that's, I've always felt that in all parts of my life, you know, I'm surrounded by a lot, particularly on television and radio. I work in television and radio a lot, though, right? Let's whisper this and keep it between ourselves, right? Yeah, <laughs> no one's listening. They're all a wee bit uncertain of themselves. They're all a wee bit nervous. And they're all a wee mm-hmm. bit grasping and worrying about who's going to take their place. And I get that. I understand the fear. But eventually, everyone gets moved on. Why moan about it? Why be bitter about it? Just enjoy the time you are where enjoy you are. Enjoy your moment, yeah. And, if it's, and then when you stop doing that, Look for the next interest. Life mm-hmm. doesn't owe you a career, a life, a living. You have to go and enjoy and do things. Um, and I felt that my entire life. Yeah. And kind of stayed with those roles my entire life. And it's kind of, I don't know if it's made me a very wealthy person, but it's made me a happy person. Yeah, what a brilliant outlook. I mean, it definitely has. And so before we go to talk about your sliding doors moments, um, I wanted to ask you about your thoughts of the concept of sliding doors and fate and everything happening for a reason and hard work, coincidence. What what kind of is your thoughts on the theory? I'm not big on fate. Um, I think we kind of just cruise through the world and, uh, you know, things happen. Yeah. Um, and... Um, is, um, can I give you a sliding doors moment before we get to the sliding doors moment? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Moments. There was one, and I write about it in the book, where I met this girl. Um, and she was a friend of my college friend. And we were at mm-hmm. college. And I was going out with the girl. And I was very happy in Glasgow. And I met this girl, Julie. And she, was, she talked to me for about a minute. And she goes, oh, I've got a flatmate. You're going to marry her. I went, <laughs> I'm very good. You've met me for five minutes. And you, you know, I am, apart from anything else, I'm in love with a girl as well. Yeah. Just now, you know, don't be stupid. And she goes, no, 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 you marry each other. Idiot. <laughs> anyway, we've been married for 33 years. <laughs> oh my God, that's incredible. I love that. Meeting Julie. Now, I would have always met Julie because she was a friend of Jim, who was my, one of my best mates at college. But I met her that night and she just looked at me and went, mm, yeah, you and Annabelle, mm, yes. And can you imagine that happening? It's so the incredible. sliding doors, the, you know, the, apart from the movie Sliding Doors, yeah. which is a fabulous, fabulous movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, utterly fabulous movie. You know, how many movies in your life are, are just a complete new concept. Yeah. 
you know, and it's so unusual. Anyway, it's a great, great movie. I've watched it many, many times. Um, but it usually these meet cute moments, as they call them in, in the movies, they, they are set up and you see each other. We didn't even see each other. I know. And she just knew. Well, that's a brilliant sliding doors moment. I love because again, it, it is really unpicking everything. As you said, you would have met Julie, but like the fact that she lived with your wife and like all of that stuff yes. and that moment. And yeah, it, it's these kind of like, and the fact that you remember it as well. And as you say, they don't often happen like that. They, they don't. And sometimes you look back at them and they're kind of spine tingly, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, weirdly spine tingly. You think, what if? You just... I can't imagine life how it would have been. Yeah. In another way, I kind of find the other life quite interesting as well. Mm-hmm. I do a strange thing, which, which is, I think we have quite a few things in common because I look at life in this different way. And one of the ways I say to people, um, if you're interviewing a footballer, ask him about his career, but ask him about his alternate teams because mm-hmm. every we've all got them. Yep. So you named my teams, which were Clay, Chelsea, you know, uh, Everton, Tranmere, Commander, Motherwell, right? It could have been. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I went to Dundee United as a kid. It was nearly Ipswich. And then after it went down to Chelsea, I had a choice between Paris Saint-Germain mm-hmm. or Everton. I, took, I chose Everton. It could have been yeah. PSG. Exactly. Then, when um, I left... Um, Everton, it was Galatasaray or um, Tramie Rovers. These are all monster sliding doors moments that every single player has got. And it builds the path of your life and you just don't know. And that's why I'm excited to delve into your moments because we can actually talk about the alternative universes. So your first moment is being dumped by Celtic FC. So I know you train with them as a youngster. So do you want to explain why this was a sliding doors moment for you? Um, just before I'd been the, the top goal scorer, I was a centre forward. Uh, I'd never played in the wing. That only happened when I turned pro. Um, and I was getting player of the year and top goal scorer every year with young Celtic boys clubs teams. And it looked, and I signed on by Celtic as a schoolboy for them. Yeah. So I've, there was big expectation from a lot of people that I would turn pro. And I hadn't really thought about it too much. I know that sounds really odd. I just enjoy myself. But the last year of playing under 16s, I, I just thought, no, don't fancy it. Don't want to be a football. Really? But I hadn't told anyone. And there was a moment where we were all called in to, to Celtic to told, and there was about 10, I think, kids mm-hmm. in the Royal Gregor told whether they would or wouldn't become professional footballers by being signed on for the mighty Celtic, who was the team I supported in those days. Yeah. It seemed deal. like a big deal. And the madness was, I've walked into the room with one and they're really upset because they need to, they're going to break the hopes and dreams. Yeah. Man, who they don't know doesn't get, get yeah. less. <laughs> exactly. And as they sat there and they said, Look, you're too small and we don't think you're going to make it. And you're a very good player, etc. But you're an intelligent lad. You should go and um, carry on with your, your, your studies. And I really tried hard and managed to keep a straight face. Yeah. All the other kids were walking out in tears. Yeah. I'm trying not to laugh. <laughs> and I walked out and I walked outside afterwards and I, I did smile sort of laughed a wee bit when I got outside down the road but I, I thought hey, this, is, this changes things I now know the path I'm absolutely convinced of what the path is my siblings had all done they'd all gone to university done degrees they were all in you know, 
into my brother, older brother became a headmaster, youngest ever in Scotland, my older sister became a lecturer, especially in studies. And, and you know, my older brother became a head of departments, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That was just next in the line. And I thought that was a sensible route to go. Um, but if it hadn't been utterly underlined, it was underlined then. I had yeah. one disappointment where I, I knew I had to go home and tell my dad. And my dad, I knew somewhere in the background that he thought I was good enough to be a footballer. But yeah. I disagreed with him. He told all my brothers and that, that they never told me. He said, he'll play for Scotland. He's good enough. Really? If they'd have told me, I'd have said, you're talking rubbish. I mean nothing. <laughs> Who's the idiot? Yeah. <laughs> so there was a real change of a moment there of, right, I know where my path is now. Mm-hmm. And I felt very comfortable with it, yeah. really happy. And had had they said, we want you to sign and they put pressure on the phone my dad and all that sort of stuff. I don't think it would have changed me because I'm quite strong-willed. But it was a comfort of happiness. Have, of, yeah, and you don't have that awkward moment of being like, this isn't for me. You can just kind of roll with what their decision was. And can I underline now to anyone's listening? It's not that I didn't love playing. I still loved playing as much as I ever did. Mm-hmm. I loved the creativity of it. Um, as I say, you know, I loved the actual just being fit and all that sort of stuff because I did yeah. this running, etc. Um, so I was missing nothing. And when I walked out that door, I felt nothing. It's a lovely moment of, right, okay, this is where life goes. And yeah. that's a real sliding door. That is a very much a, right, okay, that one's shut. It yeah. slammed shut and it didn't bother from me for a millisecond. So I don't mind that door being slammed shut. You can slide or slam it, I don't care. Yeah. And I moved on. So um, how did you then get back into the game? And that was the madness of it. We need to get to number two sliding door moment. <laughs> We'll go on to that one. But I guess I I would love to ask, because I think my questions were going to be very much based around, you know, how did you feel about being rejected? You know, did it did it bother you? And we very much now know that it didn't. But um, I guess what I find really interesting about this moment as well is I think one of the things that, you know, for them to say you were too small and that's one of the reasons why I never, it actually became your strength when you did become a footballer. Um, and I'd love to kind of know, did that ever knock your confidence? I mean, yes, you said you kind of didn't think you wanted to go down the football at that time, but did any of that knock your confidence or was it just, did it just kind of brush over you? So honestly, it's a brilliant question of a confidence. It really is. Because I don't understand it, the yeah. question. And I'll tell you why I don't understand it. I've never suffered from this, right? I don't get it. I just don't understand. What's the worst thing that can happen? I make a fool of myself, I get some. I find me ridiculous. Yeah. I don't care laughing at me. Like, I just find me stupid. So I'm never going to be worried too much about what other people think about me. And I've always kind of had that wee bit. Maybe it's partly coming from a big family, you know, that we're all strong characters as well. So confidence was never a problem. I was never arrogant or super confident or loud. I was quite quiet and, and looked introverted when I'm with football teams. But walk across the line and I don't care. Yeah. I don't care who you are. And it's a, it's a very, very, very hard dichotomy to explain to people that you walk on a football field and that quiet, introverted person who's listening to sweet indie music turns into someone who thinks, I don't care if you're the best player in the world. I think I'm better than you. Yeah. And I don't think it. I absolutely and utterly believe it. Yeah. And it's the weirdest thing that 
it, it doesn't make much sense. It, and as soon as I walked off, there's, there's not a touch of arrogance there, yeah. gone. There's nothing, mm-hmm. no arrogance in, my, in any part of my body. But when we're on the field, I'm looking at Stuart Pierce or Kenny Sanson or Terry Butcher, and I'm thinking, yeah, I can do you. And I, I would have thought that, and indeed did think that when I was 17. Because I remember playing, I went down 16, actually. I went down to Ipswich when I was 16. This, I was sent down by the boys club that I played for fun with. And I thought, well, I'll be holiday for yeah. <laughs> six days. I'll have a wee holiday. And ended up playing against Terry Butcher, who was the England captain today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm 16, a wee skinny student who basically looks like a post-punk echo in the bunny man. <laughs> guy like, totally out of place, right? And I end up making Terry's life very difficult, yeah. you know. And the manager, Bobby Robson, the, the wonderful Sir Bobby Robson, he's looking going, that's amazing what that kid's doing with him. Terry's trying to kick lumps out of me. Where did that come from? <laughs> That's 16-year-old kid yeah. thinking, I'll do you. But the weird thing is, of course, it's the confidence thing's a great question because I've never quite understood that lack mm-hmm. of belief. And I suppose it's a case of fearlessness that was also helped over the years by having nothing to lose. Yeah, it's so inspirational because I think we're all searching for that. And I think we often, we think that cockiness and arrogance is the same as confidence and it's really not. And I think that that's, you've kind of explained it extremely well there. Like we all need that inner confidence. I mean, I'd love to, do you think Celtic ever regret the saying no to you? Have you ever kind of like looked into that? When I was at Everton, the chap who'd got rid of me, and by this time, I'm a Scottish international. I'd play the year for Chelsea Cup times, etc. You can't get rid of me. A guy called Jimmy Lumsden. And I'll name him now for good reason. Jimmy Lumsden became the assistant manager at Everton under uh-huh. David Moyes. Yep. So Lummy, I really liked him. I really liked him. And he was the one, I think, that made the decision to let me go for whatever reasons. And after about two years at Everton, I walked in the players' bar one day, and there was Lummy. Standing there with his shock of grey hair. Yeah. And this long before he went to ever. And he walked over and I went, I went to say something. He goes, Stop. We made a big mistake, Pat. Really? I'm really, really sorry. <laughs> and I said, Look, don't worry about it. My life's been brilliant now. Exactly. It's worked out well. And it actually couldn't have worked out any better. I mean, it may have been worse if I stayed at Celtic. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, it was honestly, it was so gallant of him. And mm-hmm. so German and so unnecessary. Yeah. But I, I liked him anyway before he said it. And I because he's one of the most honest, honorable guys I've come across. Um so yes. And the other side of it is um I'll tell you this story very quickly. Because I was a big Celtic fan. Yeah. Um when I would I'll fast forward many years to when I was at Tranmere. And Celtic tried to buy me three times. Mm-hmm. And each time really? the clubs couldn't come to agreement. So they, they probably guessed they should have kept me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I was at Tranmere. And, but that, these things happen. And we know, you know, and when I was at Tranmere, Bolton came in to try and buy me. And they phoned me up and I said, look, um, it's interesting. They were Premier League. We were top of the championship. And I said, look, just go through the correct, you know, methods get in touch with our manager do it the right way I'm PFA chairman I can't do anything dodgy yeah but it's interesting um, I went home and talked to my wife about it and you know Bolton we weren't doing so well in the Premier League and 
I was happy at Tranmere and I thought, why did I do it? Would I go to a team that doesn't play the football I like just for more money and yeah. a wee bit more kudos than Premier League? And I thought, nah, I don't fancy it. So I went into training a couple of days later and the manager said, uh, Pat, just let, let you know there's been a bid for you. And I went, not interested. Nah, do I know? Yeah. And, uh, I'm really happy at Tranmere. Said we'd try and get us into the Premier League and uh, that's all I'm about. You know, obviously I'm not. I'm going yeah. to turn down balls. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyway, I went to walk out of his room and he goes, do you not want to know who it was? And I went, oh, no, who was it? Celtic. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You won it again. Again. Celtic. So oh. if it's not for you, it won't get by you. And as yeah. you say, this whole concept of so many different opportunities, my attitude is, isn't it great to have them? Yeah, the opportunities, 100%. And, whether you take them or not. And do you think, so... Going back to what you said before, which I love looking at these alternate universes, do you think, what, how would your life have been if you had have stayed at Celtic? Because I guess, would you you would never have done your degree, I'm guessing. Yeah, the, the degree would have been questionable. Um, I still would have a different outlook to the footballs because I'd, I'd already then discovered John Peel yeah. and music and punk. And mm-hmm. um, I had brothers and sisters who were, you know, sort of diverse as well in their outlooks. So I would have been different. But... I suspect I wouldn't have made it through. Yeah, really? um, purely because I couldn't have st- stood for the stupidity of certain things that they were asked mm-hmm. young players to do, you know, and I always questioned. Yeah. Whereas, so, you know, go and paint that wall over there. <laughs> Why? Go and get somebody else to paint it. I'm supposed to be playing football. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought differently. And listen, you are definitely on the path you were meant to be on, which is brilliant. So and I'm going to go on to your second moment because I'm now on this little cliffhanger of like how you got back into football. So um, having a bet before a bounce game at Shawfield. So I have a lot of questions around this because I don't know what a bounce game is um, <laughs> and I'm not really sure what Shawfield is either. So do you want to explain um, okay. how this was a sliding doors moment for you? Well, there's a guy who was, after leaving Celtic, I went to uh, stopped playing for a wee while few months but somebody asked me to play for a boys club and I went yeah I love playing football come play that's dark course united and but they were a pretty good team they started yeah. winning every week and I was playing set forward and I was scoring lots of goals anyway one day we had a weekend weekend off and uh, the Clyde manager needed some of his reserve team players to get a game so they organized a bounce game yeah so I just had a little fairly well organized game you know we've got referees and it's down yeah. in Shawfield, which is where Clyde played. So it's a professional uh-huh. pitch. Got it. So we are a little boys club of under 17s, right? Mm-hmm. And we are playing against Clyde's reserve professional team. So they yeah. should be miles better than us, right? Anyway, me and mum, apart from the fact that we battled them, right? Because <laughs> we were a good team. And yeah. three or four of our players actually went on to, to play at a very high level. Um, but we were playing in this bounce game. But before it started, I said to my mate, Brian Sweeney, Brian, um, let's have a bet. And, they, they, and, they, and we're playing for an album. Whoever wins the bet, really? the other one has to buy him an album, right? And the bet was who can beat the most players and score. Right, so we're not taking this seriously at all. Yeah. We're winding this up. So I ended up, he scored one, but I beat about four players and the keeper had scored. So after the game, we were walking off and I'm saying, Ah, it's, the money's mine no, the, the album's mine the album's right. mine perfect yeah, definitely. and he's going no no mine's was a 25 yard and I'm going oh shut up <laughs> but we're doing it we're not doing it in front of the Clyde players because that's quite offensive yeah, to yeah. Them. and as I'm walking off 
the manager of Clyde stopped me and he said, uh, hey, hello, what's your name? And I told my name. He goes, uh, would you like to come and play for Clyde? And I said, no, really? No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm no thanks. Playing, I'm doing a degree actually at the moment and I'm playing with my mates. So, but thank you. He goes, well, you're doing a degree, are you? And I'm like, yeah. Now, usually in football, that gets people totally disinterested in you, right? Yeah. But he said, really? He said, are you getting a grant? And I went, yeah. He said, well, you'll still be quite skint, will you? And I went, well, it's a personal question, but yeah. <laughs> no. Well, we're part-time. We could pay you 35 quid a week and you could still do your degree. We only, we only train twice a week and play on a Saturday, so you wouldn't miss anything. You know, and we train in the evenings. And I went, so where do you sign? <laughs> Give me that pen. Was it just I like can, an instant, like, okay, yeah. Thought, wow. And I, before I said it, I said, look, how do you know I'll be good enough for your team? He said, well, you've just dribbled past most of the first team there and scored. <laughs> so there's a fair chance you might be good enough. And I went, I thought it was the reserves. And he goes, not really. Really? Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I hadn't known any of this. Um, so that was, I would say within, so that was maybe May, June. Yeah. By September, I was in the Clyde first team. Um, we won the league. Then <laughs> I get Scottish Young Player of the Year. I get picked for the Scottish Youth Team. It's all in the back of this one moment of sliding yeah. forth, right? It's amazing. This is all within a year. We go to the under-18 Youth Euro Finals. We win them. Mm-hmm. I get player of the tournament. <laughs> Chelsea try and buy me. This is all within... You stick all this in a year. Yeah, that's incredible. And also because it wasn't your vision of where you mm. wanted to go. And again, it it's so it is inspirational because it shows just it shows your passion for the game and it shows, but it also shows that one moment. And again, like if you hadn't have I mean, I, I guess you would have played very well anyway against them, but I think that bet, as you say, maybe just tipped it over the edge to like really go for it. It relaxed us. Yeah. You know, we- anyway because we're quite cool Brian and I we're quite cool you know we're both in music and we're kind of football is a kind of secondary thing and the fact that I played with that calmness and that coolness and that devil me care as soon as I go into the Clyde team I think well I'll just keep doing that yeah. I'm going to change it and get worried about it or nervous uh-huh. and just keep doing that and I managed to keep doing that for the next 20 years <laughs> so, incredible and I understood I was, I was I'm not the brightest but I was bright enough to figure out that's what works for me. Mm-hmm. Use it. Yeah. Don't, don't lose it. Use it. And I, and I absolutely did that. But, you know, it was just, you think of sliding doors moments, they're supposed to change everything quickly. Well, I, within that year, I got divisional player of the year as well. And then Chelsea tried to buy me. And I went, no. <laughs> I don't want to be a footballer. Do you ever think about if you hadn't have played in that match that night? Because I guess... It, it was the catalyst to your professional career. And do you reckon maybe you just would have kept playing for the love of it and carried on with your degree? Well, it's an easy thing to see, Jenny. Do you know why it is? Because both of my older brothers went the other route. Really? So Tommy, he'd actually, and, and complete fluke. And again, you talked earlier on about coincidences and yeah. fate. <laughs> and I dismissed it. <laughs> but I've got a cheek. Because my older brother, Tommy, he went on trials with Clint and really? they were very close to taking him on. But he took the other route 
he stopped and went and did the degree and went away and became a teacher and lived in yeah. Hong Kong, Singapore, had this brilliant life still with his and still kicking a ball today. Yeah, really. And that's what we were like, my older brother Michael. Now, Tommy could have been without a doubt in a kind of left half sort of way, but there was another player playing there at the time and they took that other player instead from the same position, mm-hmm. which is amazing because that other player then went on to be, he played for Scotland, Spurs and Barcelona. Really? <laughs> so wow. Got in front of my brother. Yeah. So maybe he, but the fate was, he was just a bit unlucky. Mm-hmm. The guy in front of him, Stevie Archibald, became this fantastic star. Um, my older brother, Michael, there was something beautiful about the way he played football. Very much in a Kenny Dugleish sort of way. Mm-hmm. But he didn't, I don't know what it was. He didn't, he didn't, like me, I had a passion for playing and he liked playing, but I didn't have a, the real passion of doing yeah. thing. But t- technically and skills-wise, yeah, he could have made it as a professional. Definitely. Comfortable with that. Yeah. But he went down that other route. So you asked the question, what would my life have been? Well, I can see it every yeah. day when I talk to my <laughs> it's brothers. around you with all your siblings. But it shows it is, it's about timing and it's about... It's also about opportunities because opportunities can be presented to you. But, you know, you could have said no to Clyde. You know, you didn't shy away from it, even though you knew it wasn't where you wanted to go. And I think, you know, you made your own fate in that way. You did, but, but it's getting towards sounding like, oh, you were pressing on to get something. But there was none of that. Yeah. There was no desperation to go anywhere. You know, the idea, I'll be honest with you, I've always been honest. The idea of 35 quid a week, and by the way, if we won, we got more, double that. Um, I actually could go and buy as many albums as I wanted. Yeah, and that <laughs> it feeds the thing that you actually really love and are passionate about. And that was it. So all the gigs I went to see back then, which are still clear in my memory, probably clearer, in fact, definitely clearer than the games I was playing. I had all that. I was my girlfriend at the time. I could take her out. We could go to films together mm. and I didn't have to worry about the money because I had enough to buy. I wasn't minted, like, but I, I had enough and that's all I needed. Yeah. So it sounds a bit, you know, uh, like me like being like a breadhead. I wasn't, but I did it because I loved doing it and I thought there was a possibility that I keep, could keep on doing and enjoying it. But it also taught me something. It taught me something that, do you know what? Have a go. Just mm-hmm. have a go. Um, have a go. To go for it is such a good message because, as you say, what is the worst that can happen? And I don't think we often, you know, let that play out as can much. I get, as... Can I give you a great example to anyone who's listening? Yeah. Right. I find me funny as in stupid, right? <laughs> and I think that's okay. You never, ever forget the absolute importance of being ridiculous, right? Because mm-hmm. so, if we take ourselves too seriously, it leads to horrible, dark places. Now, I did a lot of things, 20-year career, scored a lot of goals and all sorts of things, right? Put my name in at YouTube and one thing would come up first. Go on. With me missing the worst penalty you've ever seen in your life, right? It was me that got it put up because I really? thought it was funny. <laughs> You're not embarrassed about that? And I'm going, I don't get that. Yeah. I think it's hilarious. Oh, we all need to be a bit more Pat Nevin, honestly. Like, I think your outlook on life and the way you see yourself and what you've done is brilliant. And it's it, it's how we all should be more of, not take ourselves too seriously. 
I'm going to go on to your last moment now, which I'm really excited to hear about. So it's changing my mind about going to France 98 with BBC Radio 5 Live. So I'd love to know how this was a sliding doors moment for you. And I'd love to know, did you change your mind to go or not to go? Um, I've been in the Scotland team for a long time, um, but I kind of messed out in quite a few of the competitions, World Cups. Anyway, I thought I had a chance again to France 98 with Scotland, uh, but I wasn't chosen. I was really disappointed. It wasn't a big half of them. I was just disappointed because I thought I'm still, I can still do this. They didn't take any wingers. And, okay. And then Five Live called and said, would you like to come and be, you know, the analyst and pundit, et cetera, the co columns And I was about to immediately thought, look, this is summertime. I want to have a summer. Um, yeah. My wife and I want to go and flounce about and, a rough part of Europe somewhere and be on holiday and enjoy ourselves life, yeah um, and I, I, I just I'd almost said no and then I just thought I'm going to have a look at it it is after all France you mm-hmm. know and I love France and France is a beautiful country yeah. and I'll get to go to these places and they're paying me a lot it wasn't a lot a little bit of money mm-hmm. to travel around France they're getting me from A to B exactly on trains and yeah Okay, so I'm going to Lyon, I'm going to Avignon, I'm up to Paris. I'm thinking, all right, actually, I'll have a little go at that. I mean, I don't know if I'll be any good at it. But I'll have Was a this the first time you would have done it as kind of yes. like, yeah, okay. It's the first time I've done it to any serious level. Because um, it's a World Cup, it's your nation. Yeah. You can't, you, you got to do this right. Mm-hmm. Um, my knowledge of football players wasn't great because um, I didn't follow it that closely. I loved playing it. Uh, I knew the people I played against, but I wasn't a big student of the game, you know. Yeah. I knew the great players, I knew the great teams, but the rest, you know, wasn't really that bothered about. Yeah. So I had to go and study it a bit. Um, but I went and two things happened. And the first things, the thing, the obvious thing, which you can see coming a mile away, I end up for the next 30 years being, you know, I'm still working for five years. Yes, to this exactly. Day. I ended up getting television gigs out of it and all sorts of things. You know, worked with Channel 5 and various other areas, the BBC. While I was there, I started writing. I started writing for, I think it was the Times. Mm-hmm. But I was writing my own stuff. Yeah. So it wasn't maybe ghosted. I was so pleased anytime I sent it anything it wasn't edited or just yeah. tiny bit by edit. I was like, yes. I can do um, that. That was it. And now you think, well, that's great. That's a sliding doors because then I have the next career unbelievably sorted again. Yeah. Accidental football. Now I'm going to be an accidental media person in yeah. football. <laughs> Whereas I'd always thought I'd go into maybe writing about the arts or the theatre mm-hmm. or the music. Uh, but this was fun. It was actually only the secondary thing that was a sliding door. The real sliding door was I'd begun to love travelling before really? that and I was yeah. utterly in, I was beginning to get bit of course I'm doing most of it through playing so if I'm going playing somewhere like Bulgaria and this was in days when it's behind the Iron Curtain I would sneak out of the hotel and go and find out what Sophia's like because you yeah. never get a chance there mm-hmm. and a lot of my, this book The Accident Football there is things that happened I went to made weird places in the Middle East and the Far East and you know, the stories that happened because I didn't do the normal things. Yeah. I went and explored. Um, but I was complete. And then I realized, wait a minute, if I do this, I'll keep on traveling as well. Forever. I, <laughs> can it be any better? So, you know, from France 98, I've 
I've been to South Africa for the World, for the World Cup. I've been to Brazil for the World Cup. I've been to South Korea, which I am deeply in love with, yeah. South Korea. I mean, absolutely in love with South Korea. And would, would that ever have happened? <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. And I think you said before that you probably would have gone into, I mean, I'm guessing when football kind of stopped as a like player career, you wanted to maybe focus on like, you know, the arts and music. Mm. And do you, do you think that's where maybe things would have gone if you hadn't have taken this Five Live job? Maybe so. Um, I'd had a few opportunities. I was asked to do a film with a Saturday with an afternoon show which in the end, the next guy who was offered it took. Uh, and I think Simon Meal did quite a good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> five Live. Um, and maybe something like that yeah. as an anchor of radio and TV, because the wide interests I had of politics, the art, sport, et cetera, mm-hmm. it kind of sounded like a good fit. So instead of being punned at, someone who was more you know, anchoring uh, would have been a, a, an idea I mean, just last week I did uh, I did that for Radio 4 anyway. So yeah. it's always something that I thought, I'll have a little bit of a go at that because I'm interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it could have yeah. gone that direction. I definitely, I mean, you're so good at it. I don't see how it couldn't have gone somewhere down that line. It's luck, but it just yeah. would have came the right way. The, the upset, the only thing that wasn't disappointing, but there was a period after being a pundit for a while on um, TV, I thought, actually this is a bit too easy. It's mm-hmm. not taxing. I would rather be an anchor, but also have an opinion Yeah. and adapt it from what usually is. Because the anchor usually asks a question, comes back, asks a question, comes back. And I had this other concept of saying, actually, no, it should be absolutely anchor's part of it, mm-hmm. especially if he has knowledge. Yeah. And he's asking questions, but he's also answering and giving an opinion back with some, with some power and strength. Um, so I had a, and there was a wee moment where that came close, very close um, when I was at Channel 5, but they gave it to John Barnes instead. Um, and it was either going to be me or Barnesy. Yeah. Uh, and that would have been an interesting. Yeah. But if, if I'm going to be absolutely honest with you, the book is long overdue because that was an intellectual challenge. Yeah. To write it, to do it, to find a way that it worked, to write it with the voice that I want, that is my voice, mm-hmm. um, but it's also hopefully enjoyable. Yeah. You know, and the loveliest thing, when people come back and say things like, I read it in one sitting, or a few people have come back and said, I could just hear you reading it when I read it. Yeah. It's a lovely feeling that when some, because that means you're writing totally. well. I'm you from know. the heart. So I'm, I'm kind of that whole side of it, you know, there's, there's a sliding doors was waiting to happen. They were waiting yeah. to be kicked open. And that one was waiting to be kicked open. So, you know, my, my publishers hate me saying things like this, but I didn't tell them I was writing a book. Yeah. I just wrote it and then gave them it. I didn't stop. Mm-hmm. Kept going. I've written three. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the first one. Oh, well, um, I hope one of them is going to be called the accidental broadcaster because it seems like that's one of the, that's that's waiting to happen. It's a sticker. It's a sticker. <laughs> and that'll be number three. That's number oh, three. perfect. Oh well, Pat, I've enjoyed our chat so much. You've had such a colourful life and career, and as I said, your outlook's so inspirational. And I'm really excited to see where these books go and kind of hearing more about your life. Um, and thank you so much for sharing your moments with us today. 
well, it's been an absolute pleasure. And for anyone who listens, if you do get around to reading the book, one simple thing, really hope you enjoy it. It's yeah. there for pure enjoyment. And if you do that, and Jenny, thanks very much for giving me the chance to talk about, talk about that and also talk about the sliding doors moments. Great idea and I've loved doing it. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, Pat. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.